Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. Because it all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Hello, White Sox fans. It's Tony Marchese, and welcome to Sox on Tap tonight. Joined by NWI Steve. Steve, this is the second time I've gotten to see your face today. You dropped by the crib earlier. Uh, you are uh, you're looking good again. It's you got the headband rocking. It's the off season. It's the first show of the off season. Steve, how are you doing tonight? I'm going to crack this beer and hand it to you. Hey, yo, Tone. Um, are we in the trust tree? Because because I'm going to lay something pretty heavy out there. I'm scared right now. We're not even 24 hours into the off season. I feel like I'm just drifting through life aimlessly without a sense of purpose. The Tigers are already going out there, making their, their team better. Rick Hahn is sitting on his ass doing nothing. I'm scared right now. I don't know what to do here. And, you know, be, being able to come and be, being able to see you earlier, it, it helped to kind of ease the tension a little bit there. You know, you, you got you got to see uh, corporate Steve I earlier did see today. Steve. So, so now you get to see you know regular normal dumbass Steve. That's that's where I was going with the "you're looking good" comment because when when you sh- showed up today, Steve, just for all the listeners, he was he was very buttoned up. It was it was definitely a, a corporate Steve that I've never seen before. Um, but uh, I'm just glad we're here talking baseball because you bring up a good point. I'm very scared right now how I'm going to make it through this offseason, and I'm glad that we're doing this on the first day where there's no baseball because, man, it was it was kind of somber, and it's always somber at the end of the season regardless of if it's the last game of the White Sox season or just the baseball season in general. Steve is a baseball fan. It sucks. It, it sucks going into the winter. It just does. It's like that famous quote from Hannes Wagner. People ask me all the time what I do in the winter, and I tell them I stare out the window and I wait for spring. Tweeted it. I think that was Hornsbury, but I'm not. I'm not positive if it was Wagner or not. I got to oh, look that one back up. It, yeah, it was. Either, it was either Hannes Wagner or 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 Rogers Horn. I, I think it was Rogers Hornsby. Actually, I believe. That, yeah, I believe yeah, so it I think, was. I think, I think you know. And I I googled that one last night too. I should know this off the top of my head. Look at us. I, I, off-season form. Look at look look at us. Look at, look us. at us. Who would have thought, Steve? It's it's been an interesting week on the White Sox Twitter sphere. Uh, there's been a no. specific player, been a specific player that's on everybody's mind. And uh, if uh, if the listeners don't know, you can go to ontapsportsnet.com and find an article from from yourself there, Steve, on this very topic. And I, I think we just jump right into that discussion because how polarizing. How, you know, there, there is, and I tweeted this out too, there is no middle ground anymore when it comes to baseball players and their performance or just anything else. You like Yohan Moncada or you hate Yohan Moncada. There really doesn't feel like there's an in-between. I think both you and I share some some viewpoints on this, um, it, it kind of in that in-between area. But Steve, break the situation down here for, for anybody who hasn't read it yet and, and maybe, you know, 
uh, tease a little bit of what else you put in there. Yeah, I think the the crux of my article here was really just that there are these two polarizing camps um, within the White Sox fan base as it relates to Yoan Moncada. You have people that are very reliant on the war number. And the war number in 2021 looked really good. It was, it was a four and a half, according to fan graphs. And then you have the other side of the spectrum, people who only look at counting stats, um, who only see the 14 home runs and see the limited RBIs and say that he's not good. Like most things in life, if you operate on the extremes, odds are you're in the wrong. That's just kind of what it is. There is a lot of gray area with things in life. And as it relates to Yohan Mankata, I think in particular in 2021 and throughout the totality of his time with the White Sox, there is gray area there because there are things he does really, really well. He's one of the few guys in this team that has a very defined plate approach that is willing to work counts, take walks, and extend innings. They don't have a lot of guys like that. I mentioned in the article, the only other real option is Yasmani Grandal, who a good portion of the fan base also hates because they're stuck in the 1950s mindset, Ken W.O., and they only look at batting average. Well, Steve, we made it, what, five minutes and 30 seconds before Ken I'm going to start a counter again on this, <laughs> and we're going to take over-unders on when Ken gets brought up on the show. Uh, but, Steve, you bring up a good point with, with the fact that Yasmani Grandal was also a very polarizing player for, for the White Sox and has been since he's arrived. Um, you know, a lot of people love him. A lot of people want to jump on that bandwagon. A lot of other people think that he's worthless. Uh, and I fall somewhere in the middle on that one too, Steve. Uh, but the thing with Yoan Matkata, and I think we've had this conversation multiple times uh, on this show, uh, you know, just at the ballpark, at a bar, wherever we're at, We've had this Yohan Moncada conversation, and I think we've kind of had the Yohan Moncada conversation amongst the fan base since he's kind of come up, right? And so here's where I sit on Yohan Moncada. To me, it's it's kind of the pressure that was on Yohan Moncada, not not the pressure that you know he needs to be, I guess, superstar. I think that that's that's in and of itself pretty hard to do. It's the, the pressure that kind of when you look at the White Sox rebuild as a whole, outside of Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson, who are kind of there already, as a White Sox fan base, and I think that this is we, where we as fans put a lot of this, I, I think, external pressure, and maybe it's not even pressure on Yohan Moncada. It's more pressure on our, ourselves to sit there and say, this guy has to be good. Because the first one through this rebuild, Steve, in my mind, was Yohan Moncada. He was the premier target in the Chris sale deal. I mean, Michael Kopech was great. You know, you had, you had a couple other pieces there, but they're, they're not anything to the white Sox right now, but Yohan Moncada was what you traded Chris sale for. And even if, even if you're a, a baseball fan or, or you're, you know, in the media, whatever, whatever you're doing. And you look at this white Sox team, Yohan Moncada was that first name there. He was the first guy that sold out Comiskey park when he came up. And everybody got up and bought tickets. And, and the, I still remember watching Rick Hahn talk the night before and say, and Yoan Moncada will be called up. And that moment, that feeling right there was, we're turning a page. We are turning a page as a fan base. This is the first guy that's going to come up here and kind of like start to do this stuff. And again, you look through what was written about Yoan Moncada, the pedigree he had, the just endless amounts of talent, the way the ball sounds off his bat. He was like the first, I think, 
prospect of of this kind of generation of White Sox fans that it was like, oh my God, we're watching this guy go through the minors. We're tuning into minor league baseball games to watch this kid play. It kind of carried through with Eloy and everybody else, but Yohan Makata was the first one there. And he got a standing ovation when he took his first at bat and got a walk. That's a powerful moment for a fan base. And then when you get a guy that comes up and he kind of scuffles a little bit, right? And then you start to see some of this team come up and surround him. And and the pressure comes off just a little bit. And he starts to do well in 2019 when he had somewhat of a supporting cast there. But really, in my mind, for Yohan Moncada, it's the the fact that we're so hyper-focused on this guy without even realizing it. Subconsciously, we look at him as like the centerpiece of this even though he's really not. And you can make that argument all day, Steve. He is not the star of this, but we thought he could be. He was that first guy that we were like, he's going to, when we win the World Series, he's going to be a big part of it. You make a lot of great points there, Tone, kind of circling back to things. I remember that night when when Hun had the press conference. I remember the Sox were playing the Dodgers at home. Clayton Kershaw was pitching for the Dodgers. That was the first time I ever got to see him pitch in person and I had my seats um, as part of a full season ticket group in uh, section 128. So I could see into the Sox dugout the whole time. And I remember just refreshing Twitter constantly because there were the rumors about Todd Frazier being traded. And that was kind of kind of be the linchpin that was ultimately going to result in Mankata getting brought up. And so every half inning, just keep looking in the dugout, keep looking for hug watch ultimately didn't happen. And then I remember exactly where I was. I was driving, I was driving back. I was on 31st Street, getting ready to get back on the Ryan and turning into the postgame and hearing the announcement of the trade of Todd Frazier, uh, David Robertson, Tommy Cayley to the Yankees. And then Rick Hahn drops the bomb and Yohan Moncada will be called up and starting tomorrow. And like you said, it, it was it was kind of that moment. It's like, okay, this is the beginning of it all. And then I bought tickets for the game that next night to go there and to give that standing ovation for Mankata for that first at bat. I still remember that the electricity in the ballpark was palpable that night. And you, like you talked about works a 10 pitch walk and the place just exploded. Like he had a home run to win the world series. So he does come in with that pedigree and with those levels of expectations, because he was traded for a guy that was on a hall of fame trajectory and a guy that was on a trajectory of being the greatest starting pitcher in the history of an American League charter franchise. So that's pretty significant right there. And as a result of that, fair or not, the fact is that just kind of comes with the territory now in Yoan Makata is always going to be judged at a different level than everybody else. He's always going to be judged differently than Eloy was because Eloy wasn't traded for a guy on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Let's just be honest about that. So Yoan Makata just... He's always going to have that microscope on him. We saw in 2019, that was a guy that we all thought we were getting from the Boston Red Sox. That was the guy that was a superstar. And it was like, okay, this is it. This is the moment. Some guys take a little bit of time before it all comes together. And in the two years since then, we've seen bits and pieces of his game 
be really be really sound. He's he's done a very good job defensively transitioning to third base this year. Really strong in terms of getting on base, but the power element wasn't there. And we've always seen the issues with him staying healthy and and being able to be on the field consistently. And I think that's where part of the disconnect comes from the fan base and the, and the quote unquote haters that are out there is because he hasn't put it all together since that 2019 season. Well, I think that, you know, Steve, you, you go a little bit deeper uh, into the storylines of Johan Moncada himself um, and the performance that's, that's come after that, that initial moment. And to me, you're right. That place was electric when he walked just the same way it was when Michael Kopech threw his first strikeout. Those are the, and to me, it's just to go back to it. Those guys are going to be judged a little bit harsher than even, you know, if Tim Anderson had a bad year or Jose Abreu has a down year or anybody else on this roster because of how important that was. There was a lot of people. And if you take away guys who are, or, or anybody uh, else on the roster or anything, people who watch the White Sox, if you're a common fan, say you're not dialed into AAA, say you're not dialed into just, you know, the front office stuff or anything. Chris Sale was a fan favorite, absolute fan favorite from the common fan in Chicago. You knew who Chris Sale was. You might not have known about Yoan Moncada because you don't follow prospects. You know, they, I, I remember going over to uh, my wife's grandparents' house and he's like, I don't understand why they fucking traded Chris Sale for a bunch of minor leaguers. And it's like, okay. I'm really excited about Johan Moncada. I think we're like they're setting a clear path. But when you when you go through this rebuild and people start to get dialed in on these guys, and I think Eloy sees some of this, I think Kopech sees some of this, I think any of the Han trade targets are really judged at a, at a much different scale based on who they were acquired for. So, Steve, I'm going to ask you the question right now because. I started going back and doing a little, you know, if we're going to judge this by the almighty war, I'm pretty sure that, you know, in this season, I would say this is the first season where the competitive window is open and you've got Michael Kopech and Yohan Moncada on your roster. And I know this isn't a, a great equivalent because it's two versus one here, but they put up more combined war than Chris Sale did in the season after he was traded to the Red Sox and they won the world series. So if you're, if you're judging it there, you've got an argument to say, okay, these guys were more productive together, depending upon who you take and replace on your roster to fill that one verse two thing. But if you're looking at straight up, you know, Moncada versus Chris sale, Moncada's short. He's, he's a little short on impact, I guess. If again, baseline war, right? Cause that's what everybody wants to use. And I know a pitcher affects a game differently than a, than a hitter does, so it's really impossible to make this comparison, Steve. But if you're looking back at it, what's what's the was this a productive trade or not? I'm not even saying win. Was this a productive trade or not to go out and acquire Yoan Moncada and Michael Kopech? And you can sit here and analyze it right now and say, could Han have done better? Could he have done far worse? Where are you at with it? Where do you judge the confidence in that deal looking back at it? from right now, knowing that Yohan Moncada still has tools to develop, but at this very moment, you know, we're trying to rationalize as a fan base that he might not be a superstar. He's going to be a really good player, 
but he's not going to be that super superstar or phenom as he was built out to be. That's a very, very complicated and loaded question there, Anthony. Uh, really, really bringing the hard hitting stuff here tonight on, on the first edition of Offseason Socks on Tap. If, from my perspective, looking at this, um, I would say honestly, it's a push. And I know that's uh, I know that's a weak answer to give, and a lot of people are going to say that that's a cop out. But if you look at it, Michael Kopech didn't throw a competitive pitch for two and a half years. Um, Chris Sale had Tommy John surgery and has missed time during the course of a couple of other seasons that he was with the Boston Red Sox. The one thing that obviously I think pushes things in the Red Sox favor to this point is the fact that Chris Sale struck out Manny Machado to clinch the 2018 World Series. And until the White Sox are able to win a World Series with Yoan Mankata and Michael Kopech being significant contributors, they're not going to be able to equal that ultimate level of success from, from the trade. Um, you know, obviously Chris Sale alone didn't win the World Series for that 2018 Red Sox team. But I think if you just look at it on a strictly performance level standpoint, I'd say I'd say it's a push because I think Sale has given them what they expected minus the the missed time for the Tommy John surgery. And I think Kopech and, and Mankata have given the Sox good value. I think Mankata has been able to solidify the third base position in particular. He's had two really strong seasons in the three years that he's been at the position. One season, you could make the argument that he was a top 10 player in the sport. Um, so I think you look at that, and again, he was a very good, very productive player. I wouldn't say he was a superstar here in 2021. And then 2020, in that shortened season, dealing with the after effects of COVID, it's really hard to judge a player based off of that because we saw a lot of guys have down years during that time frame and then come back this year to be good players again. So you almost have to kind of flush that out. So I think to this point, both it's hard teams to have, answer. It, 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 it's hard it, to answer this. It, it is. And I think so. I think to this point, both teams have gotten what they ultimately wanted out of the trade. Obviously, Dave Dombrowski, when he was running the Red Sox at the time, was looking for I like a the top, Boston accent there. Yeah. Added to that, yeah. The effect was beautiful. Had, had, to, had to do it. Um, he was looking for a top of the rotation arm to get a World Series ring. He accomplished that objective. The White Sox felt that they weren't going to be able to put a competent enough team around Chris sale because they have an owner that likes to, um, you know, try to shovel as many dollar bills into his coffin before he, it uh, gets lowered into the grave. So he, he didn't want to put Look at the rationale and thought that goes behind an answer like this. See, and that's the thing I'm going to call something out here too. You know, it's, it's really funny because I, on Twitter, it's, it's a yes or no question. And if you try and rationalize it, like people are just going to take whatever it is that you're saying and try and spin it to something else and, and tell you you're dumb. But it's a really, it's a complex question, man. And that, that's what goes into running these baseball teams. You could go through any of the trades that Rick Hahn made and kind of justify each and every single one of them right now, at least the main ones. Mm-hmm. You can justify all of them. Are all of them going to pay off? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know who quote unquote won that deal. 
but right now, like I could sit back there and say, mm, I wish they got Devers. I, I don't even know if that would, I don't even know if that would satisfy us right now as a White Sox fan base. I don't think, I don't think Raphael Devers satisfies you. I, I think, feel, the, I think, the, I feel like really the only guy that would have really satisfied everyone is like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at this point. I think had Devers been included in there and Han was actually trying to get I know Devers as, as, why as the third piece. That's why um, it's, it's really hard to go back and evaluate this deal and be yeah. like, what, what else could you have included? What else I, could you have included to the Red Sox? I, I'm trying to go back and think of their roster at the time. Like, cause who else could you have thrown in there? Well, the big debate at the time was Mancata or Benintendi. Well, okay. So let's let's play that game. Let's let's go down that path. Yoan Mankata all, all all day. I know, but let's go down that path and say Chris Sale was traded for Andrew Benintendi. Does Rick Hahn have a job still? Is Jerry Reiser still alive? That's an. I mean, look at the layers that you can just unfold here. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's like incredible. If if Jerry Reiser is still alive, then yes, Rick Hahn still has a job. I think that's pretty cut and dry. <laughs> It's interesting, it, and, and we haven't even heard from Rick Hahn yet, Steve. We have not yet heard from Rick Hahn. You know, that, that is really fascinating, and it almost kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, is he trying to – is he looking for um, a condo in Queens, New York, maybe? I mean, given the fact that everybody else at the Mets have tried to bring on board to take that job as general manager or uh, president of baseball operations has this is, left them standing at the altar. Are we are we entering tinfoil hat time right now, Steve? Are we entering tinfoil hat time? Uh, look, we're 21 minutes into this thing. I say we might as well go go for it. Let's go full tinfoil hat. Maybe that's what it is. You and I were talking about this the other day. We were wondering maybe is there going to be a shakeup to the coaching staff? We saw that announcement coming today from um, I think Van it was Daryl Van Schoen. And then uh, Fegan. Uh, Fegan also commented that uh, it looks like the full coaching staff is going to be back. We'll talk about that one too. We'll talk about that one too after this, but let's, let's stay on Rick Hahn. So, I mean, if, if there's not a shakeup in the coaching staff, then is it a, a front office shakeup? Cause it is very, very odd to think that here we are now. Um, it's been three weeks or back to Kenny or, Williams, you, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been what three, three weeks since the, Sox were eliminated by Houston and we've seen no announcement. I think it was last year after the Oakland series, it was what, 10 days after that they did the, the post game or excuse me, the postseason presser in which they announced that Rick Renteria wasn't coming back. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this thing is dragging on as much as it is, it does open itself up to various conspiracy theories. And so here's the thing that I, I mean, I know they did some some media availability after the game, after they lost. There was some some media availability, I think, from Tim Anderson and a couple other guys, but there was never really a debriefing day, right? Like we haven't had the debriefing day that I feel like comes with almost every team exiting their season or or even the post game. Um, where, you know, you've got full media access and, and there's, you know, conferences and all this other stuff. I, I really don't feel like we had that the same way that we did almost every other year. And now if you go back and you look, I think it was 2010, I retweeted something from Adam Hogue at the time um, earlier today. I don't even think like anybody liked it. I, I, I haven't followed Adam Hogue uh, all too much. But uh, 2010, nobody liked his tweet about Rick Hahn potentially taking a Mets GM job. 
Um, I found that interesting. Uh, he's grown a lot, I guess. Uh, the fact that that is out there in the internet is just absolutely fascinating to me and leads me to, you know, start to drop tinfoil hat theories, Steve, because, you know, I'm prone to do so. Um, does he want to go back to New York? I, I, he is. He was in college on the East Coast, wasn't he? Um, um, he he got one of his famed three degrees from Harvard, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, all right, close to his alma mater, one of them or whatever. You know, well, get out there. I mean, ha, ha, he is ha, a Chicago ha, guy, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's from, he's from, he's from uh, New Trier, I believe, the uh, same high school that uh, former White Sox legend Charlie Tilson went to. Yes. So does Rick Hahn want to uproot his family and get away from, I mean, like, let's, let's be real. There are storylines out there uh, that certain people perpetuate online. Um, I, I don't know no, if they're true or not, I don't no. know if they're true or not, but Steve, uh, there are storylines out there that last season Rick Hahn wanted to sign Hinch and you know, there's, there's all this, the animosity brewing in the White Sox front office and Rick Hahn's pissed and he wants to leave and he was totally handcuffed by the decision and so, you know, if we're going to we're going to go play that game for a minute, I, I think, you know, like if, if that's true, Rick Hahn's probably, you know, talking to the Mets right now. And that's why we haven't heard from him. I would think that if he wanted to leave to go to the Mets, it would be because he would be ultimately working for the guy that is the richest owner in the sport, a guy that has a tremendous ego that has come out and said that he is going to do everything he can to make sure that the Mets are a World Series contender on an annual basis. And we all know that uh, Rick Hunt does not work for an owner like that right now. Granted, he does have the ultimate job security in that as long as he continues to breathe, essentially he you know, will maintain employment at his very high salary. So there is a little bit of a trade-off involved with that. I feel like, I feel like right now this is one of those conversations that you – come home and you have with either yourself, your significant other, your family. And it's like, I've got two job offers right now. What's going to be the best for me. So let's put ourselves in those shoes, Steve, since we're doing all this tinfoil hat time and everything, if you're Rick Hahn, okay, you've just spent your entire career building this, this white Sox roster, basically in baseball, like you're, you're the prime of your career building this roster and say the Mets and the richest man in the world comes out and says, Hey, Rick, I want you to come here and I want you to win the world series and I'm going to pay you more than you're making right now. Here's a five-year contract. You can bring in whoever you want. The problems that you had in Chicago, you know, everybody's got this rumor out there online that Jerry's cheap and I want you to come here and we are going to win a world series, leave what you're doing behind in Chicago you know you didn't want to hire Tony Larusa. Come here, I'll let you get your guy in, and you can start fresh. You're Rick Hahn. Is that attractive to you? I think it absolutely is. My greatest concern about the rebuild has always been: Will the cheap eighty-six-year-old do what is necessary in order to finish 
the job. He's the and Steve, let's give Jerry Reinsdorf some credit right no, now. Let's not. Let's give Jerry Reinsdorf some credit right now because I said we're gonna give Jerry Reinsdorf some credit right now. He's got the two most well-run franchises in Chicago right now. And I know that that's a very low standard. Well, but if you one, look across one, the board, when one of the franchises in town is the Chicago Bears, who are living off the glory days of the Great Depression, you know, back when it was just all a bunch of slow white guys playing in the NFL. I'm sorry, that's you know, not really much of a uh, measuring stick right there the bulls everybody's talking about the bulls right now we, we, we've lost listeners to the bulls and uh i, I just want to we've say, also lost we've also lost our brother buzz we know. also I mean, we have we has, have lost buzz i, I mean I, I actually i saw buzz this week i saw buzz, buzz yeah and I thanks, went for, out, thanks for the invite buzz and i went out uh to uh have a few uh beverages couple two tree uh, couple two tree it, it, we did not kill as many as as you johnny and i did uh that night a couple weeks ago well that was um, enough to kill a small country yes it was uh but we had a couple two tree drinks and i had the hawks game on and they, they won their first game so i was excited but like apparently there was like the greatest bulls basketball game he's like you just watched one of the, like the biggest comebacks in history i'm like i have no clue what happened i miss baseball dude i I miss it that's why we're talking about it but i'll circle back for a second jerry reinstorf owns right now the two most prominent franchises in chicago that's interesting because look where we were five years ago i don't know and then you go back to rick Hahn. you go back to rick Hahn. we take this another step back you go back to Rick Hahn, he comes home, he tells his wife, hey, I've got an opportunity to go to New York. And this is all hypotheticals. Hey, I've got an opportunity to go to New York. We're going to have more money. I'm going to be in a more prominent position because we all know the East Coast bias exists. And I have a chance to go bring a World Series to the Mets, and I don't have to come home and bitch to you about how Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't want to spend money anymore. That's got to be the biggest problem in the Han household, right? Like everybody complains about their job. I can't imagine <laughs> what it's like to go home and be like, yep, yep, nope, I can't do that. Jerry won't go for it. Because if we're playing that, if we're playing that stereotype, Steve, that's that's exactly what's going on. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's not a stereotype. I think we've got four decades worth of data to support the thesis of that argument right there. But to your point. The idea of going to the Mets, having full control, and being in a position to where you can lay out your vision and be fully supported and not have the restraints and the handcuffs that are on you that are here with the White Sox, that is very attractive. And we can talk all about building this thing from the ground up. But like I talked about earlier when when you posed this question initially – I think we are at the critical phase of this entire process. And it is now the point where the ownership has to provide the resources to finish the job. And there is no reason to believe that that will happen. So if you're in Rick Hahn's position, if you've that got is some negative Nani stuff right here, Steve, that is some full negative Nani stuff. That there's no reason to believe that they can finish that. And the, the only reason I say that, the only reason I say that is I still, right now, as we sit here today, believe that that roster that we put on the field in 2021 
could have won the World Series. The, and, the Braves, let me, let the Braves could have won the World Series this year. If this if this that. team, if this team this year, I'm gonna say it, if this team this year had captured a little bit more magic in the bottle and maybe won an extra game or two, you've got home field against Houston. You saw how Houston was exposed by the Braves in certain situations, and it was all the long ball. You've said it a million fucking times. Ball go far, team go far. You saw the way that this team was hitting home runs in certain games. Even the clincher that you witnessed in Cleveland, you come out there and you do that in one or two of those games against Houston. Bingo. You're through that. Let me clarify my my statement there. That's not – I'm not saying that this roster as presently comprised – is not capable of winning a World Series because I think we can all agree that the guys on the roster right now, whether it's Yoan Mancada, Aloy Jimenez, um, even Yasmani Grandal here at the end, and even Jose Abreu to an extent, we didn't get them at their at the peak of their powers here in 2021. So we know there's more in the tank, and we know that with a guy like Andrew Vaughn who – was put in a very challenging position of having to skip double and triple A and go directly to the major leagues from high A Winston-Salem. There is going to be more development from, from him, and I firmly believe that he is going to be an absolute monster. So we haven't seen them at the peak of their powers right now. Let's go back to another thing. Luis Robert and Eli Jimenez have not played a full season of baseball yet. Neither has Yoan Mancada. The next, the next time any one of these three guys plays 150 games will be the first time. That's kind of significant right there. It is. That's very significant. That's very significant for the guys that we're looking at right now. <laughs> if we re- rewind the show and go back to the beginning, is Yoan Mancada a phenom? Does he have injury concerns? And even, even if I go back to one of the guys that was traded this season, Nick Madrigal, who a lot of people had hope for, who was, you know, a, he wasn't a trade product. He was a product of the draft. But a lot of these guys have not played a full season of baseball, have had some injuries, have missed development time in the, in the middle of a shortened season due to unforeseen circumstances that nobody even knew were going to exist. If I've, if I've got one concern about the Chicago White Sox quote unquote window of contention, it's that, that it's just been really fucking unlucky. Like it's, it's been extremely unlucky and ill-timed because number one, right when your window opens, you have a pandemic that shuts down your minor league development and it stifles you for making any significant trades in your first year because your prospects can't develop. You go into your second year and you got one of the guys that came back, Michael Kopech from Tommy John, who I think we were all probably projecting that he was a starter on the 2021 White Sox when, when he was acquired, is now in a, in a bullpen role and you've got to go out there and you know, you've got to load up with Dallas Keuchel and, and, and Lance Lynn. And it's not load up, it's the – it's, there's some Jerry constraints here, but that's kind of unlucky, right? Like if Michael Kopech never needs Tommy John, maybe he doesn't miss another year. Maybe he doesn't opt out the next year. Maybe and then, and then maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he's your number two in your rotation. And then maybe you don't trade for Lance Lynn, and, and maybe we're not posed with the eternal question of why was Dane Dunning traded for Lance Lynn? 
I see where you went there. I see where you went there. I still would have made that trade, Steve. I still would have made that trade. Um, but no, like I think it's just been incredibly unlucky. And then you you draw the toughest matchup, I think, that they could have drawn in the AL. And I think, you know, for as much as um for as much as I was behind Tony LaRusso's plan to rest some of these guys and get them ready for October, because that's when it mattered, it kind of bothers me a little bit now. It kind of it kind of puts more and I know we take this as a joke, like the way you practice is the way you play and all this other stuff. It's been regular, well established that the, you set the tone in spring training. You do that very first day. You you set the you you do set the tone in spring training, Steve. You do. You set the tone in spring training and you roll through it. I, we can hype it up all we want, but it's kind of true to an extent. There were games that were winnable for this White Sox team over the course of one, oh, like uh, like out of the what? How many did they lose? Uh, I don't have the record in front of me. They went ninety three and sixty nine. Sixty nice. nine. Oh, nice. Nice. Very nice. Um, I thought it was like seventy for some reason. Uh, but over the course of the those nice sixty nine games that we talked about here that were losses, there were some of them that that were kind of pissed away. And those ones hurt now that you look back at it. Like the, those ones hurt, whether it's home field advantage or if it's uh, the fact that you're playing somebody else. I think the White Sox would have had a much better series against anybody other than Houston. And now if we want to look into the future, is there going to be baseball in March? Is there going to be baseball in April? Oh. May? And what does that do to a guy like Andrew Vaughn? What does that do to a guy like – my favorite player, Gavin Sheets. What does that do to some of these guys? And it's not just a White Sox problem, but it's incredibly ill-timed for the White Sox. Let's talk about what it does to a guy like NWI Steve, whose birthday happens to be in mid-March and likes to go out to Arizona every year for spring training so that he can watch some baseball on his birthday, who just happened to have booked his airfare a couple, two, three weeks ago to, to go head out there with this high level of uncertainty. So... Yeah, the, the prospects of labor stoppage happening when the collective bargaining agreement expires at midnight on December 1st is very terrifying, if we are being completely honest here, because by all indications, this thing is going to be ugly. And there are a lot of people... I have a sick feeling in my stomach as I listen to you talk. There are a lot of people around this sport that cover it nationally that think that this is going to be a very long drawn out acrimonious and ugly negotiation that could result in either spring training being delayed um, or even the regular season being delayed, which I'm going to be honest with you. That would just, uh, that would be not great, Bob. I also have – I don't know if you can call this a spring birthday because uh, by the calendar's terms, uh, it's not. But I, I, birthday's February 26th. That's the first spring training game this year. And I was hoping to go down and watch White Sox baseball on my birthday for the first time in my life. And, uh, yeah, if that doesn't happen, I'm going to be kind of sad about it and mad about it, and, and I'm going to have all sorts of, of – angry 
angry feeling. Would you go as far as to say you'd be mad online? I would be mad online, Steve. I would absolutely be 100% mad online. I love that you bring that term right into here. It would be very lame and weak. It would not be cool and tough if they don't work this one out, man. I I, I, I want them to. I understand kind of the, the fact that these <laughs> – these sides are so polarized. And again, we talked about it earlier. There's no gray areas anymore. It's this side or that side. People coming to, you know, agreements on things these days are even harder. And th- th- there's just so many economic situations um, that are in play here. And you've got some minor league considerations that that, that kind of creep into this. You see the MLB now telling teams that they've got to provide housing for players and the wages uh, that's been a hot topic for minor leaguers f- for a long time. And you know that the Players Association, in the, in, they're, they're going to go to bat for these guys. You know the owners. And you've got Jerry Reinsdorf at the negotiating table. And you've got Rob Manfred, uh, who I, I don't know how you feel about Rob Manfred. I'd say there's a pretty decent collective of people who aren't exactly happy with what he's done since he's taken over. As Would you like to get my thoughts on, on Rob Manfred real quick? Sure. I'll be, I'll be very succinct with it. It blows my mind that one of the four major North American sports would have a guy in charge of it who clearly does not like the game that he is in charge of because just about every decision he makes is one that is detrimental to the long-term health and growth of the sport that he is entrusted to protect. Well, Steve, and it, it it kind of goes farther than that too, at least in my mind, because even like some of the rule changes and the pace of play stuff, and like I guess you can call me one of those guys that's uh, what do you a traditionalist? Is that is that the label? I don't know what the actual label is for this. You know, I I, I like the the pitcher batting in the NL. I know you don't like that. Um, I I. I hate the runner on second base rule. I hate some of this. Shit. Why are you trying to change where the mound is? Like stop for a second and realize, at least in my opinion, realize where we're going here. It's, it's not about pace of play. In my opinion, it's not about trying to change the rules to include more offense. It's not your product cannot be consumed by everyone. That's 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 problem number one is that your product cannot be consumed by everyone. I actually saw something the other day that they were like working on something to end the blackouts, Mm. which gave me a little bit of hope. But you should have been on this like four or five years ago, maybe when like everybody's walking around with a smartphone and just wants to watch their own team play. Make your product accessible. Stop trying to mess around with the rules make it accessible and then make it something that people want to see. Rob Manfred has always been more concerned with trying to appease people that don't and will never like baseball. than he is with trying to do things to appease the audience that watches the game on a nightly basis that goes to the ballpark that travels to spring training that travels around the country to see their teams on the road. He's more concerned with these people that are on Twitter. um, You know, like the Mike Florio's of the world with pro football talk weekly, who just, you know, for whatever the reason, like can't stop talking about how boring baseball is and how much he dislikes it. Yet he tweets about it at least once a day. Um, Rob Manfred's more concerned about those people 
than he is about actual baseball fans. And that is what is so infuriating about this gap tooth clown. Yeah. I, I just, I don't understand. <laughs> I, I don't understand the direction we're going here. It's okay to tinker with some rules in, in, in minor league baseball to try and make things better. If this was like a player safety thing like you have in the NFL, okay, maybe we need to advance some things because guys are, are, are dealing with, you know, CTE later on in their life. We're not, we're not even trying to solve that problem. We're just trying to get people to tune in. Make it easier to tune in, number one. And, and maybe you'll have more viewership. Like that is plain and simple, in my opinion, just as, as somebody who does this for on tap sports not every day, I want this to be accessible to everyone. You know, you go and you look at, you know, like one of the things that uh, Joe Rogan did with his podcast, that was different than everybody else. He put it everywhere and people tuned in. There's very successful business models. Look at the NFL, look at, look at the NBA. They, they just put their product everywhere. Look at the NHL and the MLB. Like in, you're talking about, you know, the Blackhawks didn't even televise some of their, their home games for a long time. And then look at the viewership that they had. I'm not going to get into Blackhawks situations, but if you want to, <laughs> you want to hear me talk about it, go four feathers, but, but seriously, make your product accessible. It doesn't seem like that takes, as as our guy Johnny would say, rocket appliances to figure <laughs> out. Like, there's number one. And number two, like, let people share this stuff. And I think they've taken some steps. But again, like, they've had this product that hasn't been accessible to anybody. And you look at the new generations that are coming through this world, Steve, and they're they're glued to a screen all the time. Get your content in front of people. You're you're so spot on with that. And I know I've joked about this previously, whether it was on a Sunday, Monday, or on a, on a post-game show. And you talk about the lack of accessibility with smartphones, particularly with you know younger generations. And Major League Baseball, amongst sports fans that identify baseball as their favorite sport, I think the average age for people that identify baseball – it's like 55 or 56 years old. It was 56. I remember reading that study myself. Yeah. So you think about that. If you're 56 years old, odds are you are someone that's still going to have cable. You're going to pay the excessive amounts to Comcast, to AT&T, or to DirecTV, whomever it is. You're not going to go to a streaming platform. Um, you're not going to want to use a smartphone. And then you look at just from a marketing standpoint, with that being the largest demographic of people that identify as hardcore baseball fans, there's a, a big reason right there why every other commercial is an erectile dysfunction ad in between innings. Well, yeah, because that's just marketing 101. You yeah. go in there and you look at the analytics and what your demographics are, and you say, this is what I need to do. I'm tar I'm targeting a 50 to 60-year-old male. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they should be trying to target, uh, you know, the – seriously – the eight to 15 year old. And I know that's going to piss some people off. And I think that they're trying, Here, here's my, here's my other tinfoil hat theory. They're trying to do that by changing the rules to make it like easier for their age to understand, because they think that, you know, the attention span of the person is, is, is not as long as it once was. The problem is, is that they haven't taught the beauty of the game of baseball. I'll give them credit. 
when we went to field when we went to that field of dreams game, they captured the beauty of the game of baseball. They need to do more of that instead of trying to focus on how do you change the game so that you can get the 15 minute you know attention span of somebody to tune into this and, and find it interesting. Baseball is not a game that's played the same way any other sport is. You you, you got a clock on every other and uh, every other sport you got a clock. What time are you going to be back from this? Uh, well, you know, it's 20, you know, four 20 minute quarter. I'm going to, I'll be back in, you know, probably two, three hours. You go to a baseball game. You have no idea when you're coming back home. That's just not a And that's kind of a world problem, but that's the beauty of it. Baseball should start to, to like make that the escape for people from everything else that's going on. That was the beauty of baseball back in the day. And it could still be the same beauty of baseball now. Let's separate ourselves from everything else that's going on in the world and, and focus on this game. How do you get there? That's a hard problem to solve for. But I mean, you look at what, you know, you, you look at what kind of steroids did for the game a little bit at one point. You look at how it kind of fell off after that and kind of those aftermaths. And every sport's going to have their scandals. Every sport's going to have their, their tough moments. You see what's going on in the NHL right now. You see what's going on in the NFL right now. The, the, they've they've got their problems, but baseball is different. You're you're trying to capture people who want to have a, a different appreciation for their sport, I think, than any other sport. And you know the best part about baseball is that unlike every other sport, there's a moment in between pitches where that person can tune down and look at their phone. And if baseball finds a way to provide value while you're in the stadium or while you're watching a game so that you can look down at your phone and get supplemental value that's provided to you by MLB. It's not, it's not the pitch tracks. It's not, that's not it. There's gotta be something else there. I think that's where the gambling comes in. And I think that's why and major that's league baseball is, is going so hard with DraftKings and with some of these other gambling outlets that are out there. And, you know, I have to see Jesse Cofield's face, you know, every, every half inning now. Give me, give me, give me pitch by pitch in stadium betting. Is this a ball or a strike? And I think you, that's where you, we're going. How do you deliver that to somebody so you can capture that attention and then they're focused in on that next pitch? I think that's ultimately what they are working on. Could, which... you, could you imagine, just for a second, could you imagine like umpire betting? Let's not go to the robot umpire. Let's go to umpire betting. Let's get lines on strike zone, you know, consistencies and stuff. Oh, I'm sure that the odds makers in Vegas absolutely have that data. I mean, those guys, I mean, they've got, they've got just about everything out there. I'm sure the really, really good ones that are out there in Vegas helping to set those lines, they know that data. They know what umpires have a I know high we're off, strike I know zone. we're off the rails, but could you imagine like national, because umpires want to be popular. Like let's like, that's the whole thing, right? I think it's just Joe West and Angel Hernandez. Well, Joe West has ejected himself from baseball. Darn. Could you imagine umpire? That's got to be a lot of pressure though. I, I feel like that could probably be easily manipulated in certain ways. So I don't think we're ever going to see that. It's just, it's just a thought, but I, th I think you're right. I think that the betting thing is something that needs to happen and it, it's got to be instantaneous. And I think as we develop as a society, baseball has a really unique opportunity 
because unlike hockey or unlike basketball or unlike, I mean, football kind of has some stops in it where you can recollect yourself and, and figure some things out. I don't think football really needs to do too much to, to fix the attention problem, but baseball gives you like so much opportunity to just experience different things throughout the game that no other sport provides you. It gives you more downtime. They should use that to their advantage instead of their disadvantage, in my opinion. Figure out how to do that. That's just my thoughts. If I was a commissioner, I'd try to figure out how to take advantage of the downtime instead of, you know, if, if, if you've got an audience for three, four hours instead of two or two and a half, figure out what you can do to entertain people in that time and, and, and stop trying to mess around with, like, let's make this shorter. I think that was very well said, Counselor, and I'm not sure that I have anything further to add, if I'm being completely honest. I don't either. Let's let's move on to one of the last topics I want to talk about. Talk about the uh, the fact that the Detroit Tigers might be a problem next year. I have long had concerns about this. Obviously, the Tigers, <sighs> the crazy thing about this whole process with the Sox rebuild and the tanking that happened through all of it, they were never able to get a number one pick. And you go and you look at the Tigers and and what they were able to do. They've got some guys in their in their system, and they've got they were able to get two number one overall picks in what was it a three year span? In which they got you know Casey Mize, who's already pitching in in the major league rotation. He's been he's been good. I don't think he has lived up to the billing of a one one pick in the draft because when you're making that pick. You're looking for a Justin Verlander, and I, I don't see it with him. I think he's going to be a solid major league pitcher for a long time, but he's not going to be the guy that is going to carry a rotation. But then Spencer Torkelson is coming, and I think that's going to be a real, real big problem there because he was lighting balls up all across the minor leagues this year. You got him. You got Riley Green. Um they got a number of other guys coming here. Um, Matt Manning, you know, is, a, is another guy that I think um, is is going to be better than what he showed here in his initial cup of coffee. I thought it was going to be the Twins. I didn't. Um, it, to me, it was always going to be the Tigers, just given this whole process. And given that when they have been competitive in the last 15 years, they have been the one team in this division that has been willing to spend like a major market. Now, the real caveat to this will be, will the Illich children be like their old man who he stated at the end of the, at the end of his life, his one goal and what he was trying to do was to bring a world series champion back to that hellhole garbage dump of a city that, um, you know, thankfully he was not successful in his mission, but that was his core focus. Will the kids be willing to go to the same lengths that he was? That's a question that we can't answer. I think we're going to find out a little bit about that this winter coming up. Personally, I fully expect Carlos Correa to be wearing that stupid D come opening day 2022, whenever the hell that is. What else they do to complement that, I think is really going to be the big question here. Yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried. And you, you bring up Casey Mize. I just, you, Spencer Torkelson. There's just so much there. And it's it's all they haven't even really made their trade moves yet, right? Like they haven't spent in free agency yet. 
it's it's kind of scary because you have this this kind of homegrown core. You got some really interesting guys there, like Badu. He scares me. He scares me so much because of what you have behind the plate with the White Sox right now and the inability to get guys like that. They're gonna run on us all next year, and it's it's gonna be a lot harder to beat the Tigers next year than it was this year. So you're not gonna have this. Well, it was already a, it was it was already, already a problem challenging this year. the Sox won the season series here, but you look in the second half of the season, the Tigers played them very tough. Down and, the stretch. And not only that, there has been the start of bad blood between these two teams, and we cannot overlook that. I know this feels like really weird to say, but like I'm the first game outside of opening day that I am really jacked up for is the first Detroit game. That's, that's what I'm looking at on the calendar. Like it, I know it might get delayed, but the first game against the White Sox and Tigers, that might be like one of your first like big interdivision kind of rival games this next year. I don't think we've kind of thought like thought that through yet. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm looking at the schedule here. So, you know, they've got a, a three-game set in Detroit um, the second weekend of the season. And the little Motor City Kitties, they don't actually come to 35th and Shields until July. Which tells me one thing, Steve, because I'm not looking at the schedule, but you're going to have a lot of – late season action against the Detroit Tigers. Yeah. Yeah. All, all three home series against Detroit start after July. So you got one in July, one in August, and then one, the the last homestand of the season. You got three with Cleveland, three with Detroit. That's going to be, I think if we're, if we're, if we're calendar hunting right now, I just have a feeling that that last series against Detroit may have implications. I think it very well may. And uh... and see, again, I go back to unfortunate timing. I go back to what you said. Is the old man ready to spend to compete? Because now you have another. I don't, I don't think the Detroit Tigers next year, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't think they have what, you know, is going to be a World Series contending team because they're going to have to go through some of the same stuff we did. But they're going to be a problem for the White Sox in the sense that now you're going to start to get tested in your own division a little bit more. We had this problem against playoff caliber teams. Well, if you say that the Detroit Tigers are going to be a competitive franchise over the next three to five years, You've already got guys who are going to be up for contract negotiation. What after next season? Yeah, spells a little bit of trouble. I'm not trying to end this on a on a negative note, but that kind of spells a little trouble. And you're gonna have to do some shit to make sure that you remain king of the throne in the AL Central now, instead of just coasting into the playoffs and saying, "All right, we're here. Let's see what we can do." I've written this article every offseason since I started writing words about the White Sox that uh, people have gotten mad online about. The White Sox 
are the lone major market in the AL Central. They should be stepping all over these little piss ants on an annual basis. And they haven't been because the guy at the helm has refused to do so. We all know he doesn't have any pride in, in what he does. Really feel about Jerry I'm just I'm just hoping that his buddy that he brought back can talk him in to doing it. I don't have much confidence because, again, I think his sole focus in life is to try to take every single dollar he's ever made and put it into his coffin and have it lowered into the ground with him. But if there ever was a time, this is it. Hmm. You say that well. I'm, I, I, I've already given Jerry Reinsdorf more credit than I've ever given on a podcast. So I'll, I'll, I'll refrain from, from comment there, Steve. I think the sentiment of this is this is not going to get easier. It's actually going to get a little bit harder over the course of this. And I think to an extent that that may not be the worst thing in the world. No, I don't think that that's the worst thing in the world either. Because I I want to see playoff caliber baseball played by this team. And I think that, you know, if if you put it into that light, I I don't like I feel like these guys in and of itself kind of rested on some of the these games. I I don't need to get up for And The more I think that the harder competition you play raises your weight raises your level i want i want gavin sheets to have to hit against hard pitching i want yohan moncada to have to hit against hard. i went to gavin sheets just because i need to say his name uh, at least a couple of times you gotta get you gotta get some love in there for your baby boy gotta man the 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 edit that i made of gavin sheets hitting the home run to the joe buck call it just it kind of gave me some chills after i sat back and watched it over and over again and it made me sad but it also made me happy. I don't know. I sent it to you. Give me, give me some of your feelings on that. When you hear like that, I know that the stadium wasn't as, as full as what it would be. I wish I, I wish I, that I had edited maybe like the playoff crowd in there, but I got to know, Steve, like, are you ready for Joe Buck to call a white Sox world series winner as much as I am? Hopefully the next time he shows even the slightest bit of emotion after the final out, because we all know when Orlando Palmero hit that little chopper over Bobby Jake's head that Juan Uribe fielded and, and threw I'm the ball. I'm glad I teed this up. It was kind of just like for him, just a regular old play. And that's why I will always go back to the John Rooney call. That will always be the defining moment of that play, not Joe Buck. So I'm not overly optimistic that we'll ever get a great deal of emotion from Joe Buck. And hell, we even saw when uh, when the Braves got that final out when Dansby Swanson threw across the diamond, there wasn't a whole lot of emotion from from Joe Buck there. He really seemingly only saves that for the big market, you know, marquee <laughs> franchises. Um, and I'm not by any means a Joe Buck hater out there, but I, that's just something that that I've observed. I think if you look at the call that was made um, when that other team won five years ago, I think it was drastically different. Or when Edgar Renteria hit the hit the comebacker to Keith Folk in 2004 to end it for the Red Sox, it was a drastically different call. So maybe just the White Sox, if they can put together a long competitive string of success, maybe that will change. 
Hope so. That's all we can do. Uh, Steve, you said you had a surprise for everybody before we get out of here. I've got to I've got to hear about this this the surprise that you teased me with before we got on the show. Okay, this uh, this surprise isn't so much for everybody. It's more so for you, Anthony. Interesting. So, as listeners of the show may or may not know, Anthony and I were fortunate enough to be able to go to Dyersville, Iowa back in August to take in the Field of Dreams game and what was certainly a very memorable moment. Well, something came in the mail today. Oh boy. Hey, real tickets. Look at that. Commem- commemorative tickets, real tickets that you can actually frame to memorialize the moment. Had I opened my mailbox yesterday or even this morning, I could have taken it to you today. But the procrastinator that I am and only opening my mailbox maybe every couple, two, three days – well, hey, I've had I, I I like that you admit that. And we're gonna, you know, on tap confession hours. Like I, I'm I'm maybe like a four or five day mail guy. Like it's it's gotten to the point where, you know, there's nothing good in the mail, like ever. <laughs> unless the White Sox send me something. Like that's the only thing I really get excited See, about. Now and, and, the, and the thing about it was that I, I get the UPS uh, delivery emails every day. So I, I see what the emails are. I saw yesterday that there was something from the Sox. I assumed it was about the rebate from the unused playoff tickets. I thought it was just a letter or something like that. And so that's why there wasn't really the sense of urgency um, to open it. Because I had checked my credit card statement and I saw that you know I had the the money refunded for the unused tickets, and I thought it was just a letter relating to that. And then, sure enough, something even better. Hey, that was a great night. I felt like that was, I don't know, and I've kind of gone back between world or uh, the uh, the ALDS game three against Houston, and then the Field of Dreams game. Like those were two very special games. I think this year, and it's kind of hard to compare which one was better, right? Like, I feel like it's kind of unfair to, to put those on different levels because in my mind, the game in, in Dyersville was, it was, it, it wasn't a regular season game. It was a spectacle. It was a movie as Johnny would say, that was a movie. And then that playoff game. That was just that was just anything goes. I mean, that place was just up for grabs. It was up for grabs. I can't wait to get back to that. And and Steve, I I know we've gone an hour and five here, so we're gonna cut this short. But I wanna I wanna actually spend time next time that we get on a show and kind of talk about that experience and what that's gonna mean for like every regular season baseball game for some of the fans next year because you're not getting that energy on you know May twenty fourth. You're 100% right, and I think that's what makes being a baseball fan so much more difficult than being a football fan. And I talk about this all the time uh, for our listeners out there that don't know. I don't care for the sport of football. If it was completely abolished and never played again, I wouldn't lose a single second of sleep over it. But being a football fan is easy. You have to commit three and a half hours once a week for 16 weeks. Being a baseball fan, you have to commit three to three and a half hours, 162 games a year. You, I mean, there's like, what, eight off days during the course of the season? I lose my voice at least 12 times a year. Right. So there's a lot more that goes into it. There's a lot more work to be a baseball fan than there is with any other sport. 
that is out there. So I think it just lends itself to what you were talking about there in that that Tuesday night game in May against Kansas City. It's not going to have that same feel. It's not going to have that same vibe as a game three of the ALDS. So that's just, I think, a function of the longer season. It is. And we'll leave it at that for right now. Uh, Steve, it's been awesome to talk about baseball and specifically the White Sox for over an hour with you on uh, on a nice, you know, November night. We're going to keep doing this. Uh, we're going to come back with another episode of Crosstown on Tap. If you, if you had uh, not tuned into that, uh, it's a new show that we're doing at ONTAP Sportsnet. Uh, myself and Cody on Tap over from Cubs on Tap have been doing a little bit of a, a combined thing. We, we kind of decided that uh, we need to talk more baseball this offseason. Steve's going to be joining us on the next episode of that. We're going to talk a little bit about how, uh, you know, this Yohan Moncada stuff that we referenced earlier on uh, within the episode kind of translates to somebody that uh, the Cubs fan base had some polarizations with during their uh window of contention that I'm so happy is is no longer a thing right now. Uh, we'll try and rub it in. We'll do whatever we got to do uh, through that conversation. But I think it's going to be a nice little uh, chat, Steve. And we'll talk about some other things, some general stuff uh, that's going on in the sport of baseball here coming up in the next few days. I'm really excited for that. The more baseball talk this offseason, the better. I don't really have anything else to say except for the fact that uh, it's it's going to be a very long winter. Please stay with us. We'll talk as much baseball as we possibly can. Again, I don't have much else. Steve, any final thoughts? My only final thought is I wore this shirt specifically for you, Anthony, because you've been busting my balls a lot, saying that there hasn't been a tremendous amount of Seinfeld content now. since my re-emergence onto Twitter.com. I will dispute that. I've been you know, putting some Monday motivation, some Thursday thoughts. A lot of, lot of little George Costanza nuggets going in there um anybody that knows me knows that george is my guy that's my spirit animal right there so you know if uh, you happen to find your way over to the good old twitter feed you're gonna see lots of that good stuff here now that uh off-season steve is here and everyone knows off-season steve is the worst steve it's it's it, off-season steve is actually like very entertaining i love it i love off-season steve uh Man, I, I, I'm just happy we talked some of this stuff out. I think that there's still questions that are unanswered, and we'll try our best to uh, kind of rationalize this and, and come back with more. Uh, again, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs, as our guy Buzz would say. Uh, we're having some fun over there. Uh, Steve, you, you've been bringing the heat in some of these uh, latest articles that you've written. Uh, we're going to try and get some more content up throughout the offseason. Um, just to make you think about White Sox baseball when it's dark and cold and, and snowing uh, in the city of Chicago um, and there's no baseball to be played and we won't know when the next game will be played. Uh, hopefully uh, everything resolves itself. We'll be here through the winter uh, with you talking it through and uh, that's about it, man. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.